Hello and welcome back to Talk and Chop, the official podcast of the official student newspaper at Florida State, the FSU in Florida Flambeau. I am Logan Grutchfield, the host, and today I'm joined once again by Jake Mossing, another sports writer with me at the FSU. And Jake, it's great to have you back. But first, I want to ask you, you have been just uh, all over the place this past week. Uh, Do you mind telling me a little bit just about where you've been as a reporter and as a fan? You know, it sounds like you've really covered a lot of bases within Seminole Sports. Definitely. I love all things Florida State. And it's really great to be back on this podcast. It's been a, a couple months since uh, winter break and stuff, but I've definitely missed it, and I'm glad to be here today. So, yeah, my schedule. I was at the Florida State's softball game on this past Friday. I watched them take on Memphis and Missouri. And they, had a, they were doing a tournament-style play. That was a lot of fun. And then the following Monday, this past Monday, just a few days ago, I went to the FSU men's basketball game against Virginia. So that was a huge game. Virginia was seven. We are 16. Uh, it was a crazy matchup, a lot of hype going into it, and it, it definitely lived up to the hype, uh, at least from Florida State's perspective. And I'm sure we're going to touch on that later. And then yesterday, I was at the women's basketball game against Georgia Tech, and that game didn't go as how I expected it to. I don't think it, it went how a lot of people expected it to, but nonetheless, we'll talk about it later as well. And then coming up this weekend on Sunday, I'll be headed to the men's Florida State baseball game. So, yeah, I'm hitting kind of all the sports here and trying to make the best of my time at Florida State. Well, you're definitely doing a great job of it, it sounds like. And and I know you did uh, – did you do beach volleyball or was it just, just uh, indoor volleyball last week too? That was uh, just indoor volleyball. Okay, so that's – I mean – five sports in a week and a half that's that's really impressive um i wanted to make sure that we touched on that and it's great to have you back on jake i know it has definitely been a little too long but um first i want to just ask you about softball um i know the seminoles went three and one last weekend um to start that joanne graf classic and that they had to obviously the first game was delayed um, just due to coronavirus issues within um, FAMU, uh, the FAMU program, which they were originally supposed to play against on the first day of the Classic. Um, Jake, could you tell me, first of all, I know the thing that has stolen so much attention is um, FSU shortstop Josie Muffley, just that unbelievable, um, you know, leaping between the legs tag that she had on a, I, I believe was, uh, I believe it was a Memphis player. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. When that she, is correct. When she was stealing, uh, trying to steal second, and so I, I want to just get your kind of, you know, what, what, what was the reaction when everybody saw that, and then also what, what else did you kind of take away from that weekend? Oh man, that was a crazy play. Uh, it happened really quick. So if you weren't paying attention, you definitely didn't see it. But you heard the crowd roar. Uh, the the Florida State fans they they always show out for softball games, which is really cool. They have their own little fan section, and then they have all the parents coming in too, who who usually come and support their their kids who are on the team. So yeah, you definitely hear hear the crowd anyways. But 
oh, they're definitely watching all the time. And, and they saw it happen and they were loud and animate about it. It was pretty exciting. And even Missouri fans who weren't playing in that game, they were waiting for their game to to go on uh, later on after the Memphis Florida State game. They, they were excited too about it. So that was pretty cool to watch. It was pretty unfortunate that the umpire decided to call her safe when it was clearly out. Yeah. But we don't see that play every day. So I kind of understand where he, he was coming from. That's true. I mean, I thought it was definitely just a kind of a wet blanket to throw on it. But, I mean, it definitely got a lot of um, attention that I could see. You know, it was just, um, uh, my gosh, you know, just, uh, uh, I mean, I saw, like, you know, Cub shortstop uh, Javier Baez was, like, out <laughs> there retweeting it, you know. So it's definitely been just kind of a, you know, uh, definitely kind of took the sports world by storm. It seemed like, and then um, besides the one loss to Missouri, um, it looks like FSU is kind of they had that I, what I thought was just a grueling schedule this week. They they had a doubleheader yesterday against Georgia Tech. They played Georgia Tech uh, later this morning, and then have the same you know three games in two days arrangement uh, against Virginia Virginia Tech uh, later in the week, but. Um, yeah, so who in your mind, Jake, I know you had definitely seen a lot of softball this weekend. Um, who in your mind were some of the best performers for Florida State? And, I mean, you know, I could imagine that some of the usual suspects like, you know, Sidney Sherrill, um, Elizabeth Mason, I know, had that huge home run. Um, Kirsten Landers hit another grand slam, it seemed like. I know, but – you know, Landers and Cheryl, I mean, a slower start to the weekend, but I don't I don't think anybody is concerned about them, you know, being back in the form that they were in last season. Um, I mean, but who who did you kind of see as potential top performers for this team going down the road? Definitely. Someone that I want to touch on that I don't think gets a lot of media attention is Catherine Sandercock. Uh-huh. She's currently a redshirt sophomore pitcher for the team, actually. And she came out for the first Memphis game. So it was the first game of the year for Florida State. Uh, first game in a long, long time due to COVID. And, you know, that's pretty nerve-wracking. The fans were uh, were pretty excited and loud about it. And there's a lot of hype going into the game and a lot of nerves. And when you haven't been out there in a real game atmosphere, it's tough, especially on a pitcher and a starting pitcher, to be in fact, to be matter of fact. And she went out there and she threw four scoreless innings. Um, so that was very impressive. The Knowles ended up beating Memphis in five innings. So she pretty much technically pitched the whole game. Um, so she, she was tough out there and, and very impressive. They couldn't get anything going on her. So that was pretty awesome. And then in the following game, I want to touch on Kaylin Arnold, another pitcher. She's a redshirt senior. She went out there and in, in the first inning, she gave up a home run. And usually you see that at any level in the MLB, college baseball, college softball, pitchers will get rattled. They'll get in their own head if they give up a big hit like that right off the bat. Well, Kaylin kind of just took it as it went. And she said, hey, I made a bad pitch. She hit it out. That happens. Time to move on. And then she went and threw a bunch of scoreless innings. So that, that was pretty impressive for her to stay locked in. And, and it was a big part of – kind of the mental side of the game that I saw. That was great. Um, so I think this this team is very mentally tough based on those. But other than that, I, I just want to touch on the, the Kirsten Landers 
Grand Slam. I've never seen a Grand Slam in softball live, so that was pretty awesome. I mean, she smacked the ball. Once you once you heard it hit her bat, you knew that thing was gone. Uh, and it wasn't a close home run. It, it was out of there. So that that was pretty exciting for me to to see something like that in, in at Florida State softball. And lastly, Sydney Cheryl and Danny Morgan, they both played well. Cheryl's always working hard out there, um, trying to steal bases and and do everything she can for her team. So I'm excited for this Florida State softball team. I mean, they look good this year. So we'll see what happens. They really do. And I I mean, what you said about seeing a grand slam like that, there really is. I don't know. I don't think there's a whole lot comparable to it. Um, I saw last season that the walk-off grand slam against Alabama. So I was pretty spoiled there. And um, I mean, it really just, the stadium exploded, quite frankly. Um, and going back to what you talk about, about just mental toughness with this team, I think that, you know, just having talked to Coach Alameda about kind of what the team has had to give up in ways. And she made a, she made a point to say, we're not sacrificing anything. This is a decision about what we want to do to kind of preserve our season as much as possible, you know, and they've really been kind of, you know, toeing the line when it comes to COVID precautions, they haven't, you know, really been going to many events. They've not been eating meals inside. Um, I think that the kind of mental toughness that has developed within this team is, is really something to behold. Um, I mean, with, within team 38 specifically, and then um, going back to, as well, Catherine Sandercock and Caitlin Arnold, um, two of the pitchers that you talked about. Um, I was glad to see them do really well. Catherine Sandercock and, um, and Arnold as well, I think, are going to be relied upon very heavily once again this season. Um, and I am glad to see Danielle Watson kind of get into the mix. Um, we haven't seen her much before, but I know last year kind of the sense that I got for FSU softball was that the offense, the offense was clearly there. That's not a, um, you know, that was not a issue for Florida state, but it did seem like when they would kind of get behind the eight ball, it would be when they were hitting well, typically, but the pitching wasn't necessarily able to keep up. So it would be a lot of high scoring, you know, eight to seven, you know, 10 to six, stuff like that, those kinds of games. And um, I mean, the loss to Missouri was nine to five. That's fairly high scoring, I think, for as far as softball goes. Mm -hmm. But um, it's not, you know, it looks like this pitching staff has really kind of looked promising to start the season. And Danielle Watson, the transfer from um, Louisville, has looked really, really solid. She had a a couple starts, I, I think one over the weekend, and then one yesterday in that kind of um, pod play. And she has looked, I mean, extremely limited sample size here, but she's only given up two runs in um, 14 and two thirds innings. Um, batters uh, are only hitting 236 against her. 122 against Kaylin Arnold. That is just mind boggling. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, it looks like to me, all, all we're seeing kind of green lights only for this uh, FSU softball team. Um, um, so exactly. I know that they'll definitely try to do the best that they can uh, this week. 
um, try to finish out. I mean, I, I really think that this, it's tough for anybody playing six games in four days. So I, I hope that they'll be able to do just as, as well as they can um, and win as many games as possible. I know that it seems like that's the goal for, I mean, anybody, but certainly for this team. And, um, you know, try to get a solid start to the season, um, you know, especially with all the uncertainty that uh, that we might be seeing. But um, I know we've got it seems like all these sports are kind of getting back up and going here, Jake. So I definitely want to kind of, you know, move through the territory pretty quick. Any final thoughts from you on softball before uh, I don't want to, you know, cut off whatever you had to say? No, just one more thing is that. I think a lot of people fail to realize, especially people who aren't involved in sports or anything like that, or uh, just want to focus on one sport, is that most athletics and sports are extremely mental oriented. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of it that, that's on the mental side of things. Um, and, and it has to be taken into account. It is so important. I think golf is maybe the biggest sport that goes into that because if you're not locked in mentally, it's just you and yourself out there. Um, so you, you definitely beat yourself in that sport, but we could go on and on and on every single sport that I can think of that Florida state has, has a big mental part of it. Uh, and I think coach Alameda stressing that and especially during these COVID times where everything's difficult, nothing is certain things can change every second. Um, her stressing the importance of being mentally tough, is is going to be a big reason why this team does well this year. Certainly, you know, I think that um and and I don't know, I really think that that mental toughness aspect cannot be understated. And just from the conversations that I've had with individuals in the softball program, it sounds like there's no no shortage of that attribute within team 38 and um like you said, especially during COVID, you know, you got to be mentally tough now, especially just because things are so much more uncertain, you know, you can't really deal with, you know, like what FSU experienced with FAMU, you know, you can't deal with somebody else, um, you know, having COVID issues within their program. And then that impacts your game. Um, and then obviously it's just scary. I, I don't think anybody wants to, you know, contract COVID. So it is just, it can be definitely easy to kind of get bogged down in just that kind of thought whirlpool. And I think that they've done a great job of not, of just being mentally tough, quite honestly. Now I do want to shift over to women's basketball, you know, the, the fourth of five sports that you have had um, (laughs) in your, in your portfolio here in the last week and a half. Um, And you were there last night um, and it was, I, I don't think it was what really too many people were expecting to see from FSU women's basketball. Um, I know they beat Miami on Valentine's Day, and we're definitely kind of looking to continue that momentum. But um, 62-48 was the final score to Georgia Tech, um, which seems like Georgia Tech has kind of had both the men's teams and the women's teams number this year. Um, and one of the things is it was a home loss for Florida State as well, which uh, they have not really experienced too many of this year. Uh, I don't think they had lost at home before this. They kind of had struggled a lot on the road, and they had also had to deal with a lot of uh, scheduling shifts 
So a home game was then, oh, you're now going to be playing in North Carolina or somewhere. Um, you know, so I, I think that was a lot to deal with. But one of the first home losses we've seen for FSU women's basketball this year. And um, can you tell me about especially just the middle two quarters, Jake? I mean, only 14 points. Um, you know, looked like it just was taking FSU quite a while to, you know, really get anything going. Was it, were they just missing shots? Was Georgia Tech locking them down on defense? Um, what, I, I mean, what did you see? Right. Um, when you were there. So, yeah, it was a combination of a lot of things. In the first quarter, the, the Knolls actually looked pretty good. They were competing well. They were only down one point at the end of the first. Bianca Jackson had half of the team's points in the first quarter. She had eight of their 16. She was playing really well, hitting all her shots, whether it was a layup or a contested jumper. They were going in. Um, and on ball screens, they were finding the pick and roll. They were finding the slip offender. And um, things were open. They, they were making things happen on offense. They were looking for their second and third options and getting open shots. But heading into the second quarter, Georgia Tech – adjusted during that timeout and they were having help defenders come over and cut those second and third options off when a ball screen was set so the 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 person on offense who was setting the screen and went to roll to the basket they were getting shut down um another florida state person on offense who was running uh, maybe on the baseline or on the edge of the key to try and get that the ball that was being cut off and when the the person dribbling the ball picked up their dribble. It was basically over. They were stuck and they couldn't drive to the basket anymore. Bianca Jackson was shut down in the second and third quarters. Morgan Jones, who typically is one of our main ball handlers and is really good at finishing. um, She she couldn't get to the rim at all either. And they have, I think two, probably six, eight or six, nine players. I want to say really tall or maybe even seven footers. Uh, they look like twins, if I'm going to be honest, um, and, and, and they're a dangerous combination. They're, uh, they're, they just sit in the paint and wait for you to come, and they'll completely shut you down. And just going along with that is that the refs weren't calling much, which is fine. That's just the type of crew they had at the game. So when players like Jackson, uh, Sayani Lasseter, or Jones would drive and create some contact with these girls, nothing was being called, and which, again, it's totally fine. That's how the how the crew is calling it. They're calling it both ways. It was fair, but I think Florida State needs some help. Needed some help from the refs um, on those contact calls uh, to get to the free throw line and keep themselves in the game. So Georgia Tech just kept hitting threes. They kept feeding their bigs down low, and they were eating. Um, so yeah, they pulled away in the third and in the second and third. They're up by I'd say fifteen to twenty points by the end of the third, and it wasn't really much of a game, but. In the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, Florida State got some big energy. They, they had the mindset that, hey, we have nothing to lose at this point. Let's give it all we got. So they were pressuring the ball much more, um, being way more intense on defense. And they made a little run of themselves. I, I, was, uh, I was thinking, hey, well, maybe, uh, maybe this game isn't over. Because I think they got it back to maybe eight or seven points with two or three minutes left. So they definitely made it a game. It wasn't the it wasn't a blowout the entire time, which which that was good to watch. And I think they can take that kind of mentality of hey, let's work hard all four quarters, let's be gritty, 
let's give it all we got um, and take that to Louisville on this Sunday. Yeah, I, I think that'll be quite a challenge playing Louisville, to say the least. Um, this Saturday, or this Sunday, I mean, my gosh. Um, I mean, Louisville's the number three team in the country. I know they are coming off a, kind of an upset loss recently. But, um, you know, I mean, that said, like what we saw the last time FSU played Louisville, um, well, it was kind of a perfect storm, I think, for Florida State. Um, women's basketball, they were kind of having COVID rip through the program. So it was, I think they had only eight players active or something like that. And then this was before, um, obviously, the Clemson game that went to double overtime. And I, I remember just thinking, like, how are these, you know, how can this team just, you know, run up and down the court this much, you know, let alone um, be competitive against Louisville? I mean, Louisville, just an incredibly talented team. But going back to this game against Georgia Tech, um, I am surprised. It looks like that um, Bianca Jackson has started to carve out an even bigger role in this offense with the return of Tiana England, which I find to be a little bit surprising. Um, just considering that, I mean, Jackson, it wasn't like she didn't have a role to begin with. Um, I mean, she kind of took over as the team's point guard, despite not playing as a true point guard at South Carolina, where she had transferred from, sat out last season before coming in uh, this year for Florida State. And, I mean, she had plenty of experience um, from what head coach Brooke Wyckoff said. She kind of ran the scout team as the point guard um, last season. So it wasn't like she, you know, was just kind of thrown into the fire this year. But still, I mean, a, a position change like that is very difficult. Um, but that said, even with the return of uh, Tiana England, who is a true point guard, um, Jackson's role in this offense has not decreased significantly. And I mean, it sounds like Georgia Tech just their size, I think, is one thing that is difficult in my mind for FSU to overcome, considering that they're not an incredibly big team. But I think they definitely have the athleticism. And just the, the, you know, shooting prowess on a normal night, um, I would hope that this is a 32.3% shooting percentage would be an aberration for sure, as I, I think just about everybody would. Um, but, you know, so it, it is good to see Jackson kind of, you know, she had definitely taken a big part before, but this offense then to, you know, take some of the pressure off Morgan Jones, I think, who in many games that we had seen was just kind of putting the team on her back on offense and somebody who got just absolutely shut down against Georgia tech was Sam Quesis. I mean, two shot attempts in 31 minutes. Um, and she's one of Florida state's bigger players. I, I, you know what you're saying, Jake, about these two bigs for Georgia tech. Um, gosh, I mean, um, pull up their names here it was uh Lorella Cubai and uh Nerea Hermosa they must have just sat there in the paint and or you know forced her to the outside and just locked her down I mean that is you know having just centers like that to really you know put FSU's offense totally on ice 
it's a recipe for disaster, quite frankly. Completely agree. Yeah, whenever I go to a Florida State women's basketball game, I look forward to watching Sammy Quises play. She's a lot of fun, and it's cool to see a player like that who can just be Steph Curry-like, but for women's basketball. Um, And and that's kind of how I I see her uh, last season and this season as well. It's like when the ball is in her hands, no matter – where she's at, as long as she's behind the three, that, that shot is going in. Um, she has such a nice shot form and just flow um, to her game style. So, yeah, it was interesting watching her run around during the game, and they just wouldn't, wouldn't relent. They wouldn't let their foot off the gas. Uh, Georgia Tech, Florida State knew that Georgia Tech's a solid defensive team coming in, especially with those two bigs. Um, but all of Georgia Tech's guards, they work really hard. They're constantly running. They're constantly swiping at the ball, putting ball pressure, and, and they wouldn't let anything anything go for Florida State. So, yeah, it was tough. I mean, you see how even Sammy Puistas only shot two shots, but she made one of them. Um, so that, that should show you that she's she's a decent player. She just wasn't getting any looks. Um, that, that should also attest to how good Georgia Tech's defense was. So, yeah, tough night yeah. for Florida State. Uh, tough loss especially at home first loss of the season not what they wanted at all it just wasn't wasn't their night but something that coach Brooke Wyckoff stressed to me at the end of the game uh, during the post-game press conference is that it's the ACC and any team can win on any given night and I think that goes for anyone in um, women's basketball and men's college basketball you see it during March Madness you see these higher seeds who no one expects to to make it out of the first round, uh, beat these bigger schools, Michigan State, Duke, Kentucky. We've seen it happen all the time. So I definitely don't want to count these girls out for Louisville. I know they're going to work hard. I know they're competitors, um, and they're going to do everything they can to win the game. So we'll see what happens on Sunday. That's true. And, I mean, it's definitely, I think, a tall order for anybody having to beat Louisville. But um, I think that if Florida State can at least have a, a solid performance, one that they can kind of hang their hats on and say, okay, you know, we really, you know, at the very least, we were able to, you know, make Louisville work for it. Um, I think that that can be something that can really just, you know, as they're fighting for an NCAA tournament bid, um, I think something like that could really propel them um, as they kind of get into this final stretch of the season before the ACC tournament and before uh, March Madness. Um, and obviously I think, you know, from what we saw, Georgia Tech's a very stout team on, on defense. It looked like, uh, Puisis and Bianca Jackson were just kind of totally shut out from the offensive game plan, um, later, later in the game. So I think that getting them open is going to be just critical to any success that, um, Florida State would like to have. Um, now I would like to hop over to men's basketball a little bit just to touch briefly on what we saw um, against another talented uh, defensive team in Virginia on Monday. Um, but Jake, any final thoughts from you? Um, any, any other words of wisdom from coach Wyckoff or anybody else uh, that you observed last night? Nothing too much. I think, uh, I think River Baldwin needs to take a step forward. She's really talented and we've seen that so far this mm-hmm. season. Um, since she's been in the Florida State program, she's played uh, from a really young age. Um, so they trust her. They know that she is she's talented when she's on the floor, and she has the ability to do really well. 
And we've seen it in several games this season and last season where she's just going off. She's dominating. Um, I think she just needs to be more intense in the paint. And I think that would be a big step up because if she's dominating the paint in there and getting shots, making moves, she can uh, kind of open up the rest of the floor for Sammy Puisas to get open and hit some shots for Bianca Jackson, Morgan Jones, Tiana England to drive um, and open up those lanes. So I think that's the key going forward. But um, yeah, I think the game on, on Louisville is going the game on Sunday against Louisville is going to be going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, certainly, and I I completely concur with you. I have been. I think we've all kind of been waiting to see that you know, real breakout game from River Baldwin. Um, and I haven't seen it yet. I know against Clemson, she um, she didn't look impressive. Um, and I, I think your assessment is right, honestly. You know, she's got definitely the 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 height and the size to really just be a, a, a monster in the paint. And we haven't seen that intensity yet. So I know that'll be something that will be huge if, she could kind of get that in the gear as the season winds down here and if not I know it'll seem like all eyes will be on her um coming in the next season now now the men's basketball team played another um team that was you know that well, was quite frankly one of the best in the country on defense you know that this seemed to be all we heard about Coming into Monday's game was, oh, this, you know, pack line defense, you know, how is Florida State going to handle that? And, I mean, it clearly it propelled Virginia to number seven in the country, and Florida State had no issues with it. They beat them 81 to 60. Um, there was really no stage in the game besides maybe the first minute or two and for a little bit uh, coming into the beginning of that second half where it seems like the outcome was in doubt at all. You know, Florida State just led by so much. I think they really kind of caught Virginia off guard to start the game just with a kind of shock and awe performance on offense. Um, and I've talked about this quite a while, uh, for quite a bit. I did a, a live stream with uh, Ben Meyerson, another FSU writer, after that game. Um, so, Jake, I know you were in, you were likely in the null zone for that game. What was it like for the fans? You know, what was it like for you? Because I know up in the press box, it was, it was loud. Yeah, that was the loudest game I've heard all season. And rightfully so. It was such a big game and, and the Tucker center was packed. So it was a great atmosphere. It was a lot of fun to be there and be in the null zone. Uh, they always bring the hype and they have guys who dress up every game in stormtrooper costumes and that are garnet and gold painted in uh, hazmat suits, ref costumes, you name it. So they create a lot of fun uh, down there and they're constantly yelling at the opposing team and getting in their heads, which is, is definitely a, a big contributor as well to, to these games. But yeah, I was, I was honestly shocked and, and all the people on the null zone that I was talking to were shocked as well at the outcome of that game. We, we're all thinking that it was going to be a, a low-scoring, close game, maybe a two-possession game at the end of it, um, hoping for a Florida State win. Obviously, everyone in the null zone was. But, yeah, not what we thought was going to happen at all, but they were they were very happy with that, which was, was cool to see. And like you said, Virginia just couldn't get anything going. We Florida State really played solid on – defense Virginia couldn't get anything going when Kihai Clark their point guard was off the floor uh, I would love to see the plus minus ratio because 
they couldn't get anything going without him there. He was facilitating everything. And when they made a run in the second half, it was because of him. He was the one who was driving finally and, and getting to the rim and finishing his shots, which he couldn't really do in the first half. Some big names like Sam Hauser, who's a, a really good three-point shooter. He's, he's a vital part of their team. Uh, he, he couldn't make his shots. He was getting shut down. He was making bad passes um, and, and turning the ball over a lot. Uh, I, I think uh, it just wasn't his night. And I think uh, kind of touching on the mental side of things, he just wasn't there. I think maybe uh, the people in the null zone or, or just what was going on kind of got to his head. So he was off the entire night. And then big man Jay Huff, uh, who, who's a really talented player and also does a lot for that Virginia team, he couldn't get anything going as well. I mean, he seemed to be pretty shut down, and he was he was coming in out coming in and out of the game a lot. Um, couldn't get a rhythm going, and he seemed pretty frustrated with himself. So, those those uh, two guys played a vital part in Florida State's win. Florida State's offense was just too much for Virginia. We played really fast, and usually Virginia is great about shutting that down. But if you play to Virginia's pace in the game, you're going to lose. And, and Florida State did not do that. They controlled the pace of the game. They played fast on fast breaks and turnovers. They were capitalizing and making sure they were scoring. And just one last thing I want to touch on before we go back to you is Sadar Calhoun. Wow. He was extremely yes, impressive in this game. Um, he's the kind of guy that's, that's not a big name on Florida State's team this year. You, you, you won't really find him as one of the top players on the stat sheet. Um, or uh, hear about him during highlights and newsreels. But he did a lot for us this game. Uh, I think he only had six points, but those six points were huge. When Virginia was making a run uh, in the second half, they were down by 20 at halftime pretty much, and they got it back down to eight or seven, I believe. And then I think it was either Scotty, MJ, or Raekwon Gray who found Sadar wide open from three, and he knocked it down. Uh, and that's such a huge shot that shut their run down. Um, and then I think a few plays later, the same exact thing happened. Uh, the shot was more contested, but Sadar hit it again. Uh, those two shots completely, I think, killed Virginia's vibe. And after those shots, it, it was all but over. I, I completely agree. And I was I was really glad to see Sadar Calhoun kind of, you know, um, come out swinging um Monday night that was great that was just fantastic to see um because I know he had been I think it's well I'll get to this Jacob I've got a a couple questions that Ben posed to me on Monday night that I'm excited to get your your take on but um you you make a great point about Florida State kind of not having to avoid getting stuck in the trap of playing Virginia's game because like you said, Virginia is not a crazy – I mean, they're clearly competent on offense. They're number seven in the country. They don't get there by accident. Um, what I was worried about, as, as I think many people were, I was worried that it would be a low-scoring game like you described, maybe a one- or two-possession game, but that Virginia would just be, you know, raining threes on Florida State, you know, because they are a very good three-point shooting team. Um I was really struck by a, a comment from Coach Ham after the game where he said, you don't have the luxury of getting to decide what you stop against mm-hmm. them, you know. So I, I think that, you know, they're kind of forcing that reliance on three-pointers. You know, you look at the first half and they had 
I, I, they only had nine points, I think, until, you know, for the first 11 to 12 minutes or something like that. And they were all from threes. And then when they were getting in the paint, you know, they were dunking. So I think as well, you know, Florida State's defense is not something that I think typically is showered with praise as much as the offense. But, you know, I think that they did a fantastic job of really locking down Virginia on offense to, okay, you can shoot from three, you know, and if you were shooting just some astronomical percentage, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. But you are either going to be playing under the basket or you are going to be playing outside the three-point line, and that's all you're going to get, you know, um, on a regular basis. So, and I thought that they did an excellent, excellent, excellent job of just locking that down, especially in the first half, and then complementing that with um, just stellar, consistently stellar possessions on on offense. Um, to what I do want to ask you then, and in your comments about Sardar Calhoun. Um, made me think of these two questions. Ben posed them to me, and I think they're kind of good bones to chew on for, for Florida State basketball fans, is one, you know, despite Sir Calhoun, clearly very talented, um, but, you know, still, he's definitely been one of the more consistent depth guys, but hasn't seen, you know, like the most playing time. Um, and, and somebody that else that comes to mind is somebody like, you know, Nathaniel Jack, who has been pretty damn good when he's come in. But, you know, he doesn't come in all that often. You know, he's maybe coming in for five, six, seven minutes. Um, Do you think that Florida State has too many good players? You know, and obviously that'd be a great problem to have for a coaching staff. And then just tell me, what do you think the ceiling is? Right. So I don't think we have too many good players. Um, I think it it works really well with what we got right now. I think the only guy who maybe doesn't really fit our kind of offense or our playing style is Raquan Evans. I love him. I love his playing style. I love the intensity he brings, but I feel like he would fit better with another team, uh, to be honest with you. So if I had to pick anyone to go uh, who's very talented, it would be him as much as I hate to say that and would definitely miss him. I think uh, his, his type of gameplay and style just doesn't go along with us. Um, even though he's been a, a huge contributor to this team. Um, that's, that's the only thing that I've personally saw uh, for Nate Jack. I don't think he's ready yet um, to be on the court for big minutes. He has shown up in some games this season. That is true. Um, he has surprised me and has surprised a lot of other people, but from a holistic standpoint, um, just in general, instead of just looking at, oh, he's shooting the ball well, well, is he playing defense? Is he helping? Uh, is, is he working hard? Is he grabbing rebounds? Is he, he making assists? I don't think he's there yet. He reminds me of Anthony Polite two seasons ago. Uh, back then, I thought Polite w- wasn't any good. I thought he shouldn't be on the court at all. And boy, was I wrong because – uh, at this point in time, Anthony Play is is a huge part of our team. Just two seasons later, he's worked extremely well under Ham. Uh, Ham has developed him. Ham and his coaching staff have developed him so well. And if you go back and look at tape compared to two years ago and then look at now, uh, it's not the same player in there. So I don't want to count Nate Jack out. I think it's important for him to get minutes. And I think that if he just trusts the process and um, listens to the coaching staff as well as putting in work on his own, 
I think uh, he can really develop into a great player, but I just don't think it's his time yet. Uh, that's kind of my summary on that. That's a great point. Um, yeah, okay, and that's true. And I think he could definitely, you know, progress, like, you know, kind of similarly to Polite, you know, in, in going from limited minutes to then being a, um, a starter down the line. But, I, yeah, I think this year you're, you're right. He's probably not ready to be playing starter-type minutes. Um, but, yeah, he has impressed me, definitely, in at least his offensive output. Um, but you, you make a great point just about the other um, areas of his game that probably need to come along before he can see those bigger minutes. Um, now, the other question, and I do want to get to baseball a little bit. You know, we're, we're not four-sport athletes, but we might be, you know, four-sport talking heads or four sport journalists here. So um, the last question I want to get to you for basketball before we move to baseball for a tiny bit is um, what do you think the ceiling is? I think, uh, I think the final four run is definitely doable. If we played like we do against Virginia, I truly believe that we can beat any team um, in the NCAA. I, the only team that I'm scared of is Gonzaga. At first, I didn't believe the hype, and I'm not just saying that because, oh, they're one seed, so, yeah, they're amazing. No, I've actually watched them play in a lot of games. I watched them play Iowa, who has basically the player of the year in Luca Garza. Um, he's extremely talented big. He's over seven feet tall, and he can move like no other. And Iowa's extremely talented. They, they, they can shoot the three ball well, and I think that was a one versus three matchup at the time. This was earlier in the season, um, and, and I thought Iowa had a chance to beat him. I was really high on Iowa, and Gonzaga went in there, and they obliterated Iowa. They didn't give him a chance. And for a team like that to beat such a great Iowa team um, who came in there and, and is extremely talented, that showed me a lot. I know Gonzaga doesn't play the best opponents, but they're constantly blowing these people out uh, in their conference. They're not even giving them a chance. And these guys are really talented and dangerous. So what I was talking about with some buddies of mine the other day is what I have for my final four realistically in my head that I can see if Florida state plays like they did against Virginia, I see Florida state there. I see Michigan there. I see Gonzaga there in that fourth spot right now. It's open. I think, uh, I think a sec team could kind of sneak in there and in an Alabama or Missouri, but that, that one's uh, open <laughs> for discussion. That's uh, that I, I like that assessment, um, Jake. And I will note that in the post game press conference on Monday, um, gosh, I want to, uh, I, I might mess his name up, uh, Tomas Woldetensi or whatever it is for uh, Virginia. Somebody asked him, and it was like, what was that? What did that Florida State team remind you of? You know, and I don't know if it was a Virginia journalist or something kind of teeing it up. But uh, he said as Florida State, especially that first half defense, reminded them of Gonzaga, you know, who they played earlier this year. Um, and Gonzaga smoked them 98 to 75. Um, but I thought that is that is pretty good company for a team like Florida State to be in, um, especially as they are. I, I think this is a team that has been kind of victimized by just the, the you know, one week hiatuses that we've seen, you know, any momentum, it seems like that, you know, Florida state can pick up is just, you know, nipped in the bud, at least certainly in the eyes of the national media. And we watch this team all the time. So I don't think that we're seeing that same thing 
but um, it really, I think, is just, you know, it, it, it can be a little uneven to watch. And, I mean, even like the game against Wake Forest, you know, uh, FSU won that, but I don't know that anybody would say that that was their best performance of the season, whereas I think this Virginia game was their most complete game. You know, I think there's definitely been better performances on one side of the ball. But, um, you know, a game like North Carolina State or something comes to mind uh, with just offensive efficiency through the roof. But um, here, I think this was definitely one of FSU's most uh, most complete games. Now, um, Jake, I want to I know you're a big basketball guy. You've always got a lot of uh, good insight here. Um, any any kind of last words or any any piece you want to get in? Before I do want to touch on baseball a little bit with the season starting uh, was supposed to start today, Friday uh, the nineteenth, but it'll be starting tomorrow, uh, just due to uh, right. No, I think I'm all set on basketball. I got everything in that I needed to. I'm just very excited for for this team. I hope that they can perform well during the tournament, and I hope that they can go out there and and compete in the ACC tournament as well. Yeah. I, I think that'll be critical. Um, but I think that there's definitely this season been a lot for um, FSU, FSU fans to get excited about, even with, you know, their kind of faith being tested just with COVID and everything. Now, baseball, um, which is supposed to, which uh, is slated to start tomorrow at two o'clock, uh, they'll be playing at uh, Mike Martin Field at Dick Hauser Stadium. Um, against the uh, UNF Owls to start the season. Uh, they'll have a game tomorrow with uh, Parker Messick starting, and I, I think he's definitely going to be somebody to watch for FSU baseball this year. Um, and then a doubleheader, uh, which I suppose, wow, Jake, you are really getting sure. you know your money's worth here um, covering all kinds of stuff for the FSU and, and just for, for your own um, enjoyment as well. Um one, so I was listening to a press conference yesterday with Messick and with uh, Matt Nelson, uh, the starting catcher for Florida State. And Matt Nelson is always a really interesting guy to just hear how he talks, I think. Um, and just to hear what, what comes out of his mouth. He's a re- really smart guy. And uh, definitely, I know you've probably had some interviews, Jake, where it's, it's almost like pulling teeth to get, you know, really meaningful stuff. With Matt Nelson, it seems like the exact opposite. You know, he he will talk as long as you will let him talk. Um, and he said something yesterday that was really, I thought, interesting. And that it was, so these guys for FSU are just so tired of playing each other at this point. And he, he said, yeah, you know, there's there's definitely been some tensions. But he, he thought that getting back to you know, just playing opponents that are not wearing garnet and gold um, would do wonders for this team. Um, and I know, I know, Jake, you've definitely got just some insight into the mental aspect of the game. You know, what is a what is something like that? What kind of you know impact can it have on a team? Kind of you know shifting back to all right, now we're doing what we're supposed to do instead of competing with each other over and over and over and over I I imagine it must definitely yeah that's really tough and it's been over a year since these guys have been in a real game 
Uh, so I, I can't imagine what any of these teams in collegiate sports have been going through. Uh, it's extremely tough. This is a very unusual season for everybody. Uh, the only good thing that I can say about all of it is that everyone is going through the same thing. Um, so it's, it's good that the Seminoles aren't alone um, in their struggles and kind of, I guess, uh, I would say willingness to, to play other teams. Um, so uh, all I can see yeah. from this baseball team is that these guys really want to play. They're itching to get back, back out on the field. Uh, like you said, Matthew Nelson, I see Reese Albert, Robbie Martin, Elijah Cabell. Uh, the list just goes on and on and on. Nander DeSatis, uh, those guys, they've been on the team for three, four years now. Uh, they're all extremely talented with COVID. Some of them have gotten an extra year to come back and play again. Uh, they're, they're very excited about that. I think team chemistry is going to be at an all-time high, especially with everyone playing each other all the time uh, at Florida State. So that, that's a good thing. Um, yeah. But this team ha- has the talent. It, it's very clear to me that they do. I've seen it in the past couple of years. And as players mature and progress and stay in the program longer, all they're going to do is get better as long as they're putting the work in and have the right mindset. So I'm, I'm pretty excited for this baseball team. Uh, we, obviously, we don't know what the future holds at this point. But I think uh, I think the sky's the limit. So we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I, I'm excited to see what will be going on. I will be there Saturday as well. So I'll be kind of, you know, we'll be the kind of, um, you know, we got the A team going on Sunday, I suppose, for uh, the FSVU with you being there. Um, so what I have a couple questions for you. I don't know how worthwhile you know i don't know how much we can talk about baseball and it has not started yet um obviously we've seen quite a bit but there's two questions that have really been on my mind um i think that a lot of the hype coming into this season has has obviously been around carson montgomery um you know it was just super ranked super super high in the um nlb draft pipeline last year um passed up the draft to come to florida state um, like the highest ever ranked player in the pipeline to come to FSU and forego the draft. Um, and he definitely looks like at, at this stage um, he's got major league potential. What I wanted to ask you, first of all, is there anybody new or returning? I'd say let's open it up there. Not named Carson Montgomery that you feel will do pretty well. I'd say for me, a new player that I've got my eye on, um, and maybe I'm just biased. He went to high school about 15 minutes away from me, same high school that Matt Nelson went to, uh, Calvary Christian. Um, Vince Smith, I, I think, has definitely got a lot of potential to really, I, I think, work his way into the starting lineup um, as a middle infielder. Um, seeing a little bit of him in practice, I think he definitely, um, in the field, has – you know, he, he looks stellar, you know, and I, I think that's what you can rely on or what you want to be relying on for some, from somebody in the middle infield. And then also he can, um, he can definitely do enough with the bat, I think, to work his way into a lineup where there's some pretty potent bats for sure. So he'll be somebody I have my eye on. And then the other thing that I wanted to ask you, Jake, is um, your thoughts on – 
uh, Mike Martin Sr.'s old number, number 11, being opened up for players to wear. Now, I think the player currently wearing the number, Chase Haney, um, in terms of who could be wearing this number on FSU, I don't know that there's a, a better pick for who, you know, if you see it as kind of carrying that legacy on, if there's a better pick in that regard. But I do want to ask you just, you know, I, I know some people definitely get kind of worked up about the idea of, of retiring a number or something like that. What your thoughts on the number 11 are and uh, any, definitely. I'm more of a develop, player development kind of guy. Uh, I worked in minor league baseball for six years uh, for two different teams. So I've seen these guys who uh, were top prospects and uh, had a lot of hype or they're just working their way, trying to make it big. Uh, I've seen them develop as players under different coaches and just work really hard uh, to try and make it big and make it to that next step. So I'm kind of more on that kind of end of things. And with that being said, I'm very high on Cooper Swanson Mm -hmm. this year. Uh, I think last year he was going to have a breakout season. He knows it's go time. Him being a redshirt junior, he could definitely leave the program uh, to to go and get drafted at any point. Uh, And he knows that in his head. I don't think he wants to come back here another year, if I'm being honest. He loves the school. He loves everything about it. But uh, for his future, he wants to go. Um, and, and in order to do that, he needs to have a, mm-hmm. a, an amazing season. He needs to be putting up consistent numbers every single game. Um, and I think that I'm guessing over this offseason, he's been really working hard on his game. And I, I think it's going to really show off uh, if, if that's the case. I think it's going to show off this season. And I think uh, I think – we'll most likely see him go into the draft after this season has been concluded. But obviously that's all dependent on his performance. Uh, then moving on to the Mike, Mike Martin uh, 11 jersey being worn, it depends how it's presented. I feel like they're presenting it in a positive light where it's, hey, we're carrying on his legacy. He's always on the field with us going forward. Whenever we see that number being worn by a player, uh, it'll remind us of who Mike Martin Sr. was. Uh, and what he did for this program, his values, and what he was all about. Um, I, I, I think that's important, but I do see the other side of things where, hey, this is maybe the, the greatest coach in NCAA baseball ever, um, especially for Florida State. There'll be no one like him ever to come to come back here or potentially in any other uh, on any other college baseball team. Um, he's a one-of-a-kind gem. And I see where people are having a problem with his number not being retired. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, maybe I was being a little melodramatic. I don't know that, that there are that many people totally been out of shape, at least not that I've heard from. But I, I do think that having Chase Haney wear that number, you know, just with the amount of time he's been in this program, this is his sixth year. Um, and then the just how he gives back as well in Tallahassee I think he is you know and then also obviously an incredibly you know skilled athlete on the field um I think that's somebody that you know virtually no one could have a quarrel with him wearing number 11 you know and I'm not uh I I think it's a fantastic idea um you know but I I am sure there are some who would like to see it permanently retired at, at at some point so, um, but I, I did want to get your thoughts about it. You know, I was uh, kind of, you know, struck during the interview yesterday, um, the baseball SID, Stephen McCartney, he said, oh, we'll have Chase Haney on tomorrow. You know, no one has heard from him. 
since the uh, number 11 news. So I know that that's definitely been some buzz right now um, around the uh, FSU athletics world. Um, I know we've been yakking for quite a while here, Jake. Um, You know, it's always great to have you on, but I'm sure that, you know, we should probably start wrapping things up here. Um, Any, any final thoughts from you on, on anything that I have not yet touched on? No, um, I think we definitely, as uh, as we get going, hit everything we needed to today. We touched on a lot of different sports and went into, into some good detail on all of them. So I think we gave our listeners a, a lot of good insight into each of these sports uh, it's been great to be on the show today. Um, I, I always enjoy enjoy it. I love talking Florida State athletics. As you, as you you know, I love being out there uh, for every game that I can be, no matter the sport. So um, I, I can't wait to be on on the show in the future. Yeah, and it, it is great having you on, and uh, I, I I do thank you for for coming on as well. And um, I'm I'm glad to see that you have been just all over the place as of late. Um, for the FSU, but I mean, you know, we've been talking for nearly an hour here, you know, hopefully the listeners would agree with the insight that, you know, we have been given today. So again, this has been an episode of the, of Talking Chop, the official podcast of the FSU and Florida Flambeau. I am Logan Grushfield, and today I had uh, Jake Mossing on with me. So, and you can always find our work at the FSU in print beginning on Mondays, or you can find it um, online uh, 24-7. So this has been another episode of Talking Chop. Thank you for tuning in.